This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. Reachingthefinishline.com. Welcome. And today I am delighted to have Brian Scudamore. Brian is the founder and CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, the world's largest junk removal service. Today, 1-800-GOT-JUNK has 1,000 trucks on the road throughout 180 locations in Canada, the United States, and Australia. He's received wide recognition in the media and business community. Uh, he's he, he's had appearances on Undercover Boss Canada, Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, CNN, ABC Nightline, and The Today Show. Uh, his story has been told in Fortune Magazine, Business Week, New York Times, The Huffington Post, as well as many others. With all that being said, I'll let the man speak for himself. Brian, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Callan. Great. So uh, I had you on because uh, you have a great story, and I think your story can really help people reach their finish line, whether it's professionals um, trying to find you know, passion and fulfillment in the workplace, or whether it's aspiring entrepreneurs who may look to someone like you to be able to reach the finish line in their careers. So perhaps you can give a background on how you got started. So it was uh, 1989, at the ripe old age of 18 years old, I was in a McDonald's drive-thru. There was a beat-up old pickup truck in front of me with plywood side panels on the box. This truck said Mark's Hauling. And I looked at the truck and it was filled with junk. It was this junk removal uh, company, one man, one truck. And I thought, there's a great way to pay for college. I was right in the transition from high school to college, was looking for a way to pay for college, and that became my ticket. Went out and bought a beat-up old pickup truck of my own. Started the company 1-800-GOT-JUNK. At the time, it was actually called the Rubbish Boys. It was much smaller, but a, a vision for something bigger than just paying for college. And 27 years later, here we are today. We are almost a quarter of a billion-dollar business. We've got 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We've got Wow One Day Painting, our painting brand. You Move Me, our moving brand. And then we've also got our newest one, which is Shack Shine, windows, gutters, power washing. So we've really taken a great concept of junk removal, making the ordinary business of junk removal exceptional, and broadened the category and gotten into other home services where we know we can provide an amazing customer experience. That's interesting. Let's delve deeper into that. How did you make the junk removal business exceptional? Because because well, when, when, when many people think of junk, they think, well, it's not a big deal. It's just trash. You know, how did you take it and make it so exceptional? Five years into the business, I decided to drop out of college. I was learning more about business, running a business more than I was studying in school. So I made the bold decision to drop out and bold decision because my father, who's a transplant surgeon, you can imagine the look on his face when his oldest son says, hey, I'm leaving school to become a full-time junk man. But what I realized I was on to was any city I would go to in North America, I would see these junk trucks, beat up old trucks. And I thought, imagine if someone, and let that someone be me, 
professionalized an industry. How do I make the dirty industry of junk removal professional? It was going to be to offer clean, shiny trucks, friendly uniform drivers, on-time service, and upfront rates. I had this vision that we would build the FedEx of junk removal, that we would have a level of professionalism, of customer experience that no one else could compete with. And we built out a call center. We built out a team of franchise partners. We started to quickly grow throughout Canada, the United States, and eventually Australia. So when you dropped out of college, Brian, how did your parents feel about that? Because nowadays, and, st- and still to this day, you know, usually when you know uh, young people decide to drop out of college, a lot of parents usually uh, kind of forbid their students to do that because they think that uh, you know they're not going to be successful. They point to statistics like uh, uh, you know Hillary Clinton often points out about how uh, college graduates usually make uh, a million more dollars than people without. Um, uh, college degrees. So what was that experience? You know, was your parents supportive? Uh, you know, were they not? And perhaps what would you uh, advise some people who are thinking about dropping out of college or doing the same thing, but maybe their parents may not be as supportive? It's a great question, Callan. I think my parents weren't supportive of the decision. They didn't think it was the smartest decision, but they supported and trusted me and knew that I'd eventually find my way. I think they believed I was going to go back to school one day and finish my degree. Of course, they were wrong. I believe in finding ways to take shortcuts. To me, the fastest way to grow my business, to get my business experience, was leaving business school and getting out on the streets, so to speak, and practice, learn by experience, by building a business, by asking people that that ran businesses questions. How do I solve this problem? What do I do? And it proved to be a shortcut for me. It proved to be it proved to be a, a bit of a life hack. And what would you advise uh, to young people whose parents may not be as supportive uh, in dropping out of college? What would you say to them to kind of uh, maybe be some maybe some tips you can advise? As a parent myself, I think looking at my kids when they're a bit older and if they were a similar age, doing a, a similar sort of thing, making that decision to drop out of school or leave to, to pursue their passion, I'd first of all make sure that their, uh, that their passion was legit, that they really believed and saw the possibility and that they believed with all their heart that they could accomplish that dream. You wouldn't want someone dropping out of, out of uh, college with all due respect if they were going to be uh, a surgeon or a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You, you need to go to school for those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But if you're running a business, you're building a startup, you want to be an entrepreneur, find that entry point. What I call our franchise partners is entrepreneurs, people that find an entry point into the world of entrepreneurship where they can learn from us, with us, and that we can build something much bigger together. So big fan of school, and I think it serves its purpose, but I'm also a big fan of people pursuing their dreams, not giving up on the daydream, and really taking steps towards making that happen. So let's talk about Seminole's first steps and how you slowly started to build uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I guess at that time you said it was called Rubbish Boys or Rubbish Cowboys. Um, Rubbish Boys. Rubbish Boys, okay. So let's talk about that, you know, because I think a lot of uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, they have these 
they have these fears. You know, some may appear legit, but sometimes they don't know kind of what you know direction to take. Sometimes for some people, they'll say, "Oh, well, you need venture capital, or you need to work with accelerator or incubator." Or some people may say, you "Need to bootstrap." Kind of talk about your experience, maybe some advice that you would give to them. My own experiences start small. I didn't go out and borrow money, raise capital, find VCs. I just took my idea and slowly but surely built it out. It took us eight years to get to a million in revenue from 1989 to 1997. But today we do a million dollars in revenue at our busiest day of the year. It's exciting that we grew something that some say, wow, you know, overnight success story. These overnight success, success stories take a long time. It's been 27 years. But we've got such momentum today that we will be a billion-dollar business with our parent company, O2E Brands, and all the brands that we, we operate. Uh, if we continue down this path of finding great entrepreneurs who can come into the O2E family. Now, what advice do I have for people? Have they ever been told they have a bad idea? If so, pay attention to that idea. Listen to the, that idea and think of the possibility it might have. If you're getting a lot of people telling you it's a bad idea and they don't see what you see, you might see an opportunity there that could be life-changing, groundbreaking. It could have an impact on the world. How many people told Steve Jobs that the iPhone didn't make sense? How many people told Google or Uber? How many people said to Uber when they first started telling the idea to others that it was a terrible idea? I'm sure hundreds, if not thousands. They didn't get it, they didn't see it, but the entrepreneur behind the idea believed in their so-called bad idea and ultimately changed the world. And I think something you said is very important, but maybe some people may not have some clarity in it. Did you have that core group, you know, or was it, you know, did, did you did you kind of uh, uh, benefit from advice from maybe uh, family or friends that was kind of already uh, in the business sector? Uh, did was you, what, you know, did you, did you elicit help from nonprofits or maybe uh, like the SBA? Because uh, I think those things are helpful, but at the same time, uh, taking advice is good, but it's taking the right advice. So, what would you say to that? I stopped listening to the naysayers, people that over and over told me that my idea wasn't right or that I couldn't do it. I, I wouldn't listen and pay attention to them. If people told me that something couldn't be done and they were an expert in, say, the area of franchising, I'd ask them, why isn't it franchisable? Why can't I do it? What's missing? And I'd take those areas of feedback and I'd convert them into learning. I'd help to solve problems and figure out, well, how could this be franchised? What if I changed the business model as uh, I had first seen it? What if instead of me just adding a whole bunch of people, adding trucks out there, that if I did the booking and dispatch for them, if we ran a call center and did all the booking and dispatch so that they could operate the business and focus on getting sales and driving customer experience levels up, we could run much more of the back-end business for them. That started to make sense. So I think when someone tells you no, you listen and you ask questions. What would it take to make this a great business? It's like the press. We have been on, as you listed in the bio, and it's sometimes embarrassing, but you know we've had a lot of press. We were on the Oprah Winfrey show. How did we get that press? When we call up and pitch someone with a great idea and they don't like it and PR decides not to write a story, we ask, what would make it a great story? What's missing? So I think it's important to separate yourself from the naysayers continue to believe in your own idea, and then find people who do believe, and, and if they're giving you constructive criticism, 
ask questions to find out how you could make your business idea succeed. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PC's Magazine, best web hosting service. Very interesting. like that answer. And to delve into that, Brian, how does Brian Scudamore, a successful entrepreneur like you, how do you build influence? Because I think, um, I think a lot of struggling entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, or even professionals in a workplace, you know, maybe people who want to be executives, who want to get ahead in their careers, um, they, they want to build influence so, so, so in a way it can kind of open up opportunities, in a way it could, they could become more likable. How, how does, what's, what's Brian Scudamore's formula for that? My formula has always been be myself, tell the truth, don't pretend to have all the answers because I never will, and really just get out there and share my passion, share my vision with people around me. I'm a big believer that it's all about people. So I've got to take a vision where I see the business going and rally people who want to follow and be part of that vision. You hear everyone in business talk about leadership and the importance of leadership. Leadership is not leadership if you do not have followers. So to me, it's leading with a vision, leading with your heart, with your passion, and really just getting uh, people pulled in who can be excited about your idea and be a part of building what you want to build together. As you know, Brian, it's uh, you know easier now than ever to uh, be an entrepreneur. But now, since since now it's easier than ever, there is so many out there, and I feel like some people think that the space is crowded. What would you say to the person, uh, the aspiring entrepreneur, maybe the struggling entrepreneur? Uh, what would you say to them? to help them stand out from the crowd. Because you see on the internet, you know, everyone has a Facebook profile, everyone has a Twitter, everyone has a LinkedIn. There's so much competition that people maybe feel distraught. They're like, well, you know, how can I stand out when there's so much competition? What would you say to that, Brian? Well, Dr. Seuss famously said, why fit in when you were bored and to stand out? I believe an entrepreneur with a great idea has to stand out has to wave their hands and you know holler at the top of their lungs to to ensure that people can can feel and see that entrepreneur's passion. You've got to find a way. Now in the early days of 1-800-GOT-JUNK when we were out there trying to market our business with next to no money, we'd get our franchise partners putting on blue wigs. Our company colors are blue and green. We had them put on blue wigs because we figured if they were on a street corner waving while they're beside a parked 1-800-GOT-JUNK truck, the odds of someone noticing them just standing beside the truck waving were pretty low. But if you've got five truck team members there all with blue fluffy clown wigs on, people are going to look and say, well, what's up with that? And they pay attention. So it's about standing out is about finding the new surprising and different. How do you get noticed? How do you get remembered? And really, it's just it, it's paying attention to the fact that Yes, everyone's on Facebook and LinkedIn and all these places, but how do you really stand out where someone looks at your profile or looks at your website and goes, that's unusual, that's different. You can't be like everyone else. And so if, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, um, you know, you didn't start 1-800-GOT-JUNK uh, on a franchise model. It was, it was a sole business at first. Is that correct? 
It was really just me. It was me for eight, the first eight years till we got to a million in revenue. And then I started to build the franchise model and very quickly scaled as we started year over year finding the right people to bring into our awesome franchise. Company. Okay, great. So going into that, I mean, what you stated earlier, you know, as pretty much guerrilla marketing. And that's very great for uh, someone who, whose business is kind of already off the ground, but they may have some problems. You know, so as you said, when you started off, it was only you. What was your marketing strategy then? You know, before you had the franchise who the franchisees who was wearing the wigs, what was your marketing strategy then to be able to uh, draw attention? Big believer that you want to drive sales, but keep your marketing expenses as low as possible. I, I want to see people invest in marketing for sure, but when you're starting up a company and you've got to really watch your expenses, how do you do it on a shoestring? How do you, to use your words, bootstrap the business? And really it was taking our trucks with the 1-800-GOT-JUNK phone number on the side, big, huge bill, mobile billboards. We'd park them in busy locations, high visibility trafficked areas. We would put signs on customers' lawns. After we did a job, we'd say, hey, can we put a 1-800-GOT-JUNK sign on your lawn so your customers can see uh, that you used 1-800-GOT-JUNK and you can help spread the word for us. We'd get press attention, like getting on the Oprah Winfrey Show and Wall Street Journal, franchise magazines, all that sort of stuff. And really, those things didn't cost us much money, if any, and they helped propel the brand into what it is today. So you start small but you really pound the pavement. You got to work it. You got to be relentless and you got to stand out from the crowd. Brian, what would you say to an aspiring entrepreneur who has no money? Uh, I think that, I think that's a common challenge that most people have. They say, well, you know, they may be able to afford a website, you know, be able to buy a domain and buy web hosting, but they don't really have no, no money after that. Uh, what would you say to them uh, to help them be able to build? Because uh, obviously for them, uh, they, they came with bootstrap because they don't have anything. Um, but, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people who kind of started from nothing. But uh, perhaps, you know, someone that's seasoned as successful as yourself, what advice would you give to them? I didn't have any money. I had less than $1,000 and I started the Rubbish Boys, which grew to 1-800-GOT-JUNK, a quarter of a billion dollar business. Apple computers started with less than $1,000. Wrigley's chewing gum started with less than $1,000. There's some pretty incredible brands out there that started with, with little to no money. Now, what they've done is they took their idea, they got people on board, they got people to follow. You can find friends and family and people that'll do favors and work for you for next to nothing in the beginning for a piece of the company, for uh, a promise of a compelling future. They believe in your cause. So you've got to be creative. How do you market on a shoestring? How do you build a business without a lot of cash? When we look at bringing people into our O2E Brands family, what we've started to create is the millennials that want to start businesses with us, that want to be entrepreneurs, that want to come in and work with us and help build great brands across the country. They often don't have money. So we figured out a way to help finance and help support the early stage growth of these entrepreneurs who don't have a lot of cash. I think where there's a will, there's a way. And sometimes it just takes a lot of effort to make it happen. That's great, Brian. Perhaps you could talk about that kind of program where you see kind of help entrepreneurs. Um, um, you know, maybe maybe you could shed some light on that because perhaps someone listening uh, may be interested in that. If you could kind of, you know, uh, summarize that program. Yeah, so our family of brands, o2ebrands.com, 
is a business where we are all about building something much bigger together versus going at it alone. We love young, hungry, hardworking, hands-on individuals that want to be entrepreneurs. If they have as little as $5,000, we can help them get into one of our businesses through a finance program. Now, we're creative in how we do things. Sometimes it's us helping with financing. Sometimes it's us matching people up with government programs. But if someone really wants to get into one of our brands and we believe they are the right person, we'll do anything to help them get into business with us. Great, great. And I advise uh, you all to uh, check that out, um, OE2 Brands. Is that correct, Brian? It's O, uh, letter O, number two, letter E, brands. Okay, very good. Um, earlier, you talked about delegation. Uh, you talked about uh, leadership. And I think that's very important, um, especially uh, you also talked about how, you know, you know, try to, you know, elicit the help of family and friends and, you know, get some people to kind of work for you next to nothing. Um, what would you say would be uh, some tips that you would advise, you know, to not only get people on your team, but to be loyal? Tips for loyalty is uh, it's pretty easy. Hire loyal people. Do your due diligence in the interview process and make sure you find people that you already know you can trust, ideally, or really interview people and spend time getting to know someone to check their references. Make sure that you've got loyal, motivated, passionate people that really want to build something with you. In 1994, five years into my business, I fired all 11 employees I had. Why? Because I realized I had the wrong people. They weren't necessarily loyal and motivated and passionate about what we were building. So I made the tough decision to fire everybody on the spot. And I took responsibility for making that decision that I didn't find the right people, treat them right, give them the love and attention they needed and eventually had to start from scratch again. And that day I learned the tough lesson that it's all about people, finding the right people and treating them right. The United States Census Bureau this year came out with a statistic uh, showing that only uh, showing that 30% uh, of millennials are still living with their parents. And unfortunately, I think that has to, a lot to do with uh, the, the lower return on what a college degree uh, is worth today. Um, so, you know, uh, what, what does 1-800-GOT-JUNK uh, look for in employees when they're hired? Do you place a lot of heavy emphasis on a college degree? Uh, because, you know, a, a lot of people, they graduate from college, they, they, they may get a great job, which is now appearing to be a minority. Then you have the people, they graduate from college and they get a job, but it's typically an entry-level job in where a person without a college degree uh, can also get. And then you have the people who graduate from college and, you know, unfortunately, uh, they're underemployed and they have to uh, settle for a job at, you know, Walmart or, or McDonald's or unfortunately someplace like that. When, you know, what do you look for in an applicant, Brian, uh, when, you, when they're applying for a position? I can't remember the last time I personally asked anyone I was hiring for a job whether or not they had a university degree or a college education. What I'm looking for, what I believe we look for is attitude first, skills and abilities second. We want people that uh, have the right personality and passion and excitement for building something. And skills and abilities you can always train on. We bring in young, hungry uh, people who are excited to be entrepreneurs or to work with us corporately in our head office who really have a level of excitement for life. They're interesting people, they're interested and they, they've got a story to tell and they've got 
something they've done in their life that's given them this focus of wanting to be a part of something great. I like that answer, Brian. I think that's great because uh, as more companies um, kind of have a mindset like you, all, mindset like yourself. I also interviewed um, uh, Aubrey Marcus, who has who's the founder CEO of On It, um, as well as uh, Philip Rook over at Spresher, and they have the, they have the kind of same philosophy as you have. And as more um, uh, successful entrepreneurs like you have that mindset, I think that's going to be great, and that's going to really, um, you know, in the private sector, that's really going to open up more opportunities for people who decide not to go to college, for people who drop out of college, because um, uh, I think I think that's a good way to go. But moving on, what would you say um, to the entrepreneur who is having some success, but they're kind of fearful of scaling because they think they may regret it? What would you say to the entrepreneur? Because I think they have that fear. They think that, you know, if I scale, it might be too early. I may have a lot of problems. You know, if I don't scale, you know, I'm missing out on these, on these other opportunities. What advice would you give to that person? Yeah, having a company that does, like mine, a million dollars on a busy day is, uh, it's busy. It's intense. There's a lot of people around. But it took us 27 years to get here. So while we're a quarter of a billion dollar business, it wasn't easy. It was lots of ups and downs. You've got to ask yourself as an entrepreneur, do you want the ups and downs? Do you want, are you ready for the challenge? Some people want to build a small business and keep it at a million dollars or $2 million. That's okay. You, I think as an entrepreneur have to think, why am I in this business? And ask yourself, what do I want from it? If it's a chance to change the world and build something inspiring, great. If it's a chance to make a certain amount of money, great. Just know what you want and then figure out how to get there. It's nothing wrong with scaling and there's also nothing wrong with staying small. Great. And uh, as, as we come to a close, what would be three uh, nuggets of wisdom that you impart uh, to people that are listening? Simple. Number one is have a vision, have a clear picture of where you're going with your business. Don't try and figure out how to get there. Just think of where you're going. Number two is people. Think really clearly about the people decisions you're about to make. Whenever you're about to hire someone, make sure you're bringing the right people into the right seats. You can never afford to compromise on people. If you've got the wrong culture, the wrong fit with someone in your business, and there's not values alignments, it'll, uh, it'll cause you a lot of pain and, and, and money. And then third is systems. Make sure you have the systems in place as you add more people, as you grow your business that allow you to scale. You won't be able to do everything as the founder, as the entrepreneur, but if you can continue to have systems where you, systems that allow you to find the right people, train the right people and keep them great, that'll be one of the keys to your success. Great. And Brian, if people want to follow you, how would they get in contact? Twitter. They can get onto my Twitter feed by following me at Brian Scudamore, and they can also go to o2ebrands.com. Happy to help in any way if someone wants to send me an email or a, or a tweet. Love uh, entrepreneurship and love helping other entrepreneurs. Brian, thank you for being our guest. Callan, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist as seen in Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. 
go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.